The Gist is brought to you by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. And save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer when you visit Stamps.com and use the promo code THEGIST. And by Goldman Sachs. Get information about developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy on the firm's podcast, Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. Available on iTunes. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Thursday, September 17th, 2015. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. All right, let's skip to the most important question of the debate last night. Who ordered the plane? Did someone Uber an Air Force One? It's been parked here three hours. All right, that wasn't the most important question. This was... What would you want, Governor Christie, I'll start with you, your Secret Service code name to be? <laughs> I would just say true heart. True heart. This is why you can't let the candidates themselves decide these things. No, you got to go the Belushi route from Animal House. Just give them the names. Now on your Delta Tau, Kai name is Weasel. Uh, now on, your name is Mothball. Kroger, your Delta Tau kind of name is Pinto. Why Pinto? Why not? All right, let's roll back the tape. I'm giving out the code names. I would just say True Heart. Now, we'll call you Off-Ramp. Well, I have one now. It was my detail. They called me Unit 1. My wife says, you'll never be Unit 1. I'm Unit 1. You're <laughs> Unit 2. <laughs> All right, I'm going to call you Bucko. Secretariat. Better, Seabiscuit. Governor Walker. Harley. I love riding Harleys. Now, we're going with Coupon. Ever ready. It's very high energy, Donald. <laughs> Actually, Jeb, you're Scion. Humble. <laughs> Humble. That is good. Got a better one. Bumble. Back to Carson. One Nation. Nah, we're going to go with Scalpel. It's a strong one, Dr. Carson. Senator Cruz. You know, as a Cuban, I might go with Cohiba. We're sticking with the cigar theme. How about what you try to do to the other Senate Republicans? We'll call you Torpedo. Senator Rubio. Speedboat next. Governor Huckabee. I'd go with Doc Hunter. Well, you like the Bible. You're Thumper. Senator Paul. Toker. Okay, I can't solve all the Republican problems, but I think I elevated their game there a little bit. On the show today, I spiel about the big debate and how there are some much more important things that are actually pretty little things, four or five little. But first, what more than a few of the participants in yesterday's debate could have benefited from anger management and also being constantly asked the question, is that bullshit? Anger Management. It's not just an hilarious movie starring Adam Sandler. This court hereby orders you to undergo anger management therapy. Anger management? Actually, it's not a hilarious movie, though it is starring Adam Sandler. But it is a prescription sometimes to divert people from jail, sometimes to get people in touch with their anger. And I really wonder, does it work? Maybe it's because the way that I always hear about anger management is you agree to go into anger management, some judge assigns it to you. The guy who agrees to it does three weeks, 
grits his teeth, and then he's uh, satisfied the requirement. But is he less angry on the way out? And I don't really even know what anger management means. Luckily, we have someone here who does. It's Maria Konnikova. She is the author of The Confidence Game. She also comes in to play Is That Bullshit about claims regarding science or social science or behavioral science. Hello, Maria. Hello, Mike. In fact, behavioral science, that's your thing, right? It is. Yeah. So when we say anger management, is there one set of techniques that this means? Or is this any sort of group therapy session? Or what does it really mean? The only type that's really studied and that has a scientific basis and is called anger management from a psychologist's point of view is basically a version of cognitive behavioral therapy, Mm -hmm. which is a therapy that was first devised in the 1960s by Aaron Beck, who's still alive at the University of Pennsylvania, where he first pioneered this. And the basic principle of cognitive behavioral therapy is you learn what triggers are in your mind, Mm -hmm. what your thought patterns are, and then you learn ways of rephrasing and reframing those thoughts so that they go into a more productive direction. So Beck originally developed this for treating depression. He came out of the psychoanalytic tradition, found that talking cures didn't really help that much. And And I think the research actually does bear that out. Talking cures alone don't really help that much. Exactly. And so he decided we need to have a behavioral aspect to that. How do we do that? We need to actually teach people what makes them act and, and think in certain ways, and how can they reframe that in a more positive direction that will prevent the bad outcome? Okay, this leads to several questions. One is, does cognitive behavioral therapy work? Is that bullshit? No, that's not bullshit. It's the only form of therapy that has a lot of clinical evidence behind it. In the last year or two, some people have said that it's not as effective as it once was. It's still the most effective thing we have. So is there really legitimately a way to slice that off and say, all right, we're just going to do that for anger? Because it would seem to me that anyone who goes into cognitive behavioral therapy, if they have anger issues, that's what the therapy is going to address. So I guess my question for you is, is there any real difference between the thing we call anger management and the thing we call proper cognitive behavioral therapy? Well, that's a really good question. And there's very little work. There's work on anger management where the control group doesn't get anger management therapy. Okay. And so you have a group that gets it, a group that doesn't. And we say, did the people in anger management do better? But there are very few studies. I wasn't actually able to find any that, say, have classic cognitive behavioral therapy mindfulness meditation, anger management, and, I don't know, a psychoanalysis. Right. Pitting them against each other. There's nothing like that because then if anger management was the only one that went above and beyond, we could say it's anger management versus just the therapeutic experience. Because it would seem to me if someone comes into, quote-unquote, anger management with a raft of issues, including anger but also depression, like, A, how do you just cure the anger? B, why would you just cure the anger? C, what if it was the depression in someone, like the the anger wasn't Mm -hmm. the problem, it was just the symptom? Yeah. And there's, so there have been some really interesting studies that show that there are a lot of what doctors like to call comorbidity, which means other factors that can help contribute to the issue. So they're called comorbid factors. And what they found was a lot of people who get prescribed anger management therapy, a lot of times it's against their will. A lot of times violent offenders prior to being released Mm -hmm. have to go through anger management therapy. Some police departments, and this is probably a good thing, have to go through anger management therapies. And so what some work shows is that there are very few studies that actually 
disentangle those and that as soon as you put in factors like alcoholism, which often happens, people are often prescribed anger management for spousal abuse, but a lot of times there's also alcohol involved in substance abuse or personality disorders. A lot of psychopaths go through anger management training, seem to be just fine, and really take to it like a fish in water. They're the valedictorians of the class. They are. They they definitely are. And yet, was it effective? Absolutely not. Because they don't actually have anger issues. They have psychopath issues. And so... Anger doesn't tend to be on its own. Yeah. And so the reason that sometimes anger management works is because if you use the correct cognitive behavioral approach, you should be getting at some of the other issues as well. Yeah. But, for instance, in police departments, they teach stress management because a lot of times the anger comes because you're really stressed on the job. And that's not the same as someone who has anger issues at I guess, a clerk. but when would, when would uh, a rageaholic or whatever phrases we use, when would someone with anger issues, when would that manifest? It wouldn't, they wouldn't do it while lazing on a beach in the Caribbean. It's right. when you're a little stressed. Right. Yeah, yeah. That, that is true. So basically the point is that it does seem to work, but we don't really have a lot of controls to show would other things work as well. Right. Or would other things perhaps be even more effective? Basically, should everyone who's in anger management just be in good therapy? Mm-hmm. I guess it would be hard the... for a judge to sentence someone to therapy. Maybe in this day and age, that's not seen as acceptably uh, punitive. But anger management somehow weaseled its way in. All right. Well, we, what we need is to target this guy's anger. And so if we can manage right. it, we'll be okay. And the other thing about it that's a little different from therapy is I think you mentioned at the beginning Group, right? A lot of times this is group therapy. You're in anger management classes with other people. There's a really interesting study that came out this spring from a group in the UK that showed that a lot of the benefits of people after anger management therapy had nothing to do with the therapy as such Mm -hmm. and more to do with the bonding and the camaraderie that they felt they had developed in this group. So the group really is effective. Group group is better than one-on-one. Well, in this particular case, it was. I think that it depends, once again, it depends on what we're trying to achieve. And that's why therapy is hard. Yeah. Also in the Adam Sandler movie, I mean, the fact that it was in group led to some hilarious cameos. I think we're going to need another session or two, Johnny Mac. You're back in the group. Doc, are you insane? You said I was out. You're in. Out. In. Out. In. I'm changing the call. This is ridiculous. What kind of stupid call is that? This is not the Davis Cup, John. This is group therapy. Now go take a Fury Fighter snapper, right? Don't gnash your teeth. So the only other thing I will add is that chronic anger really is something that needs to be treated. And it is something... Not just managed. Because a lot of people who experience it end up having other physical problems, more cardiovascular problems, more problems with pain management. There was a really cool study on people with chronic pain, and they found that the people who were more angry and who lashed out more in the hospital at attendance and at everyone else, they basically recovered much slower than the people who were better able to control their anger. It is something we should be talking about. So let's give our final verdict. Anger management therapy is it bullshit. The principles on which it is founded are not bullshit. Cognitive behavioral therapy is solid. But singling out anger seems to me more a bullshit approach than not. I think that you really need to try to look at the surrounding issues 
and the underlying causes and the stress, the depression, you know, substance abuse, all of those comorbid factors really need to be taken into account to make sure that people really do get to the bottom of their problem. That's right. We're talking to you, John McEnroe, Bobby Knight, Rudy Giuliani, everyone else who did a cameo in the 2003 movie, Anger Management. (laughs) Maria Konnikova is the author of The Confidence Game. She is our guide through that which is and is not bullshit. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Mike. Do you know the feeling you get when you look to the West and the forest echoes with laughter? Well, it's only only surpassed with the feeling you get when you get things done with the click of your mouse. You love the convenience, and you can apply that convenience to mailing and shipping. You don't have to leave your desk. You shouldn't be on the desk. You should be at the seat at the desk, but you should be using Stamps.com. Stamps.com turns your PC or Mac into your own personal post office that doesn't close. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your computer or printer, and then you print it, and then you slap it on the thing, and then you hand it to the mailman, and then you slap him. No, wait, please don't slap him. But you'd just be so slap happy with the efficiency. So right now, use the promo code the gist for this special offer. It's a four-week trial. It's a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale that calculates exact postage for letters and packages. It's up to $55 in free postage. You'll need that savings for when the mailman sues you. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's Stamps.com. Enter the gist. No mail carriers were harmed during the recording of this commercial. And now the spiel, oh, four or five. So in news that was eaten up by the debate, a couple of days ago, General Lloyd J. Austin III was testifying before Congress about how the fight against ISIL was going, or ISIS, or the Islamic State. Anyway, that group has more names than the number of fighters we're going to talk about. He was asked, remember about training the good rebels? Remember about that idea? We'll get the Syrian rebels, we'll train them up, we'll send them back into the fight. How's that going? How many of those good rebels do we have? Is it, is it a squadron? No, it's not a squadron. Is it a battalion? Not a battalion. Is it a minion? Ten Jewish guys to say a prayer? Eh, half a minion? Come on, General. How many of the good rebels are there? Uh, It's a small number. And uh, uh, the ones that are in the fight is, uh, is, is, we're talking four, four or five. Four. Or five. All right, so if they each kill 10,000 ISIS fighters, I've seen Rambo movies, it could happen, we could get this whole problem licked. Now, very, very small numbers are often very important things because today the Fed was widely expected to raise interest rates. What percent? Four, four or five. No, not even 0.4, 0.5. They were maybe going to raise it 0.25%. It doesn't matter, it didn't happen. Here are the two things I know about that move. One, it really was the most important economic decision the United States made all year. I mean, the stuff that went into the decision is also pretty important. But that's a gigantic move, even though it's a little number. But the other thing that I know about that non-move is that I have no idea what any of the candidates thought about it. 
You would expect the capitalist candidates, the Republicans say, to like low interest rates. Trump has said as an investor he likes low interest rates, but he's worried about them being artificially low. Carson said the same thing. A bunch of liberal groups were protesting raising the rates, but say Paul Krugman, he's a huge backer of raising the rates. Was any of this brought up in the debate? It was not. They had three hours and they had to get to the fact that Chris Christie wants to put a member of the Adams family. I think the Adams family has been shorted in the currency business. On the money. Not an altogether ooky idea. All right, he meant Abigail Adams, but why not Uncle Fester? In any case, the candidates on stage were not sweet, petite, or effete. They were hard-charging, gun-slinging alpha males. Except one who stood above all others. Carly Fiorina really did have a good night. Rhetorically. On substance, I think she did less well. Her charges against Donald Trump for his bankruptcies. And how many bankruptcies did he have? Four, four or five. It was four. It didn't stick because the polls show GOP voters want a businessman. That's their number one thing they want. And businessmen use bankruptcy laws. And once you raise the question of his four failures, the debate becomes about his overall prowess in business. And he has at least decent, he'll say, most Republicans think, tremendous prowess in business. So it plays to his strength. And they already tried this on Trump last time and it didn't work. But the stuff that did stick were specifics. She showed a command of the facts with statements like this. What I would do immediately is begin rebuilding the Sixth Fleet. I would begin rebuilding the missile defense program in Poland. I would conduct regular aggressive military exercises in the Baltic states. I'd probably send a few thousand more troops into Germany. Vladimir Putin would get the message. Ooh, zing, specific, strong. Here's the problem. When you dig deep into what she's saying, it doesn't quite stand up. The Sixth Fleet is extremely robust. Let me quote that liberal pacifist rag, Stars and Stripes. Quote, her meaning wasn't immediately clear. The U.S. Sixth Fleet is less a collection of ships than a command structure for operating ships in the Atlantic and Mediterranean. Moreover, the fleet is one of the few growing military commands in Europe. As for the other specifics, how about a missile defense program in Poland? There is a missile defense program in Poland. It's called the Aegis Ballistic Missile Defense System. There was going to be a bigger missile defense system in Poland called the European Interceptor Site, but it was canceled in part because by a factor of over two to one, the Polish public opposed the plan. This is the problem with doing business with democracies. All right, so those two military proposals weren't lies or whoppers or ideas on the order of Jeb Bush's, I'm going to have 4% growth forever. But they are extremely aggressive, ridiculously costly, and of questionable usefulness. The few thousand more troops in Germany? Sure, whatever. But the other part of what she said, I would conduct regular aggressive military exercises in the Balkan states, that is exactly what's going on. This isn't a critique. She's just saying, I would continue what's going on. The Guardian, NATO shows its teeth to Russia with elaborate Baltic training. USA Today, 5,000 troops take part in NATO Baltic military drills. This was earlier this summer. 49 ships, 15 countries. It was US-led. It's called Ball Tops, which is a cool name. It's a massive thing. The Russians don't like it. She's not proposing anything differently from what we're doing. So I don't know what she means by that. And I'm not exactly sure what she means by this. We need the strongest military on the face of the planet, and everyone has to know it. 
We have the strongest military by an order of magnitude. The U.S. spends 10 times what China spends, 12 times what Russia spends, and it's not just spending. We have 10 aircraft carriers. Russia and China each have one. They're not even that good. The U.S. has 6,000 attack helicopters. Every other country in the world combined has less than half that number. The U.S. has twice as many fighter planes, twice as many attack aircraft. I could go on. But to complain that the U.S. military needs to be the strongest, it's like saying the U.S. dinner plate needs to have the largest portion size. We are so there, baby. My overall impression of Fiorina's performance is that she spoke well, but she gave an impression of more depth than she actually demonstrated. And like the Ugandan Air Force, six attack helicopters, she has a long way to go to catch up. Let's say Fiorina doubles, triples, quadruples her support. And let's say all of that support she gains comes directly from Trump supporters. She will still trail him by a lot. Because right now, Trump is nationally over 30%. Fiorina's percentage? Four, four or five. Andrea Salenzi, the GIST's producer, Secret Service codename, Fader. Andy Bauer is executive producer. I'll call him Pogo. Why Pinto? Why not? It's not Pinto, it's Pogo, but the answer is the same. Why not? You don't need a code or a code name to hear about The Gist Live. Just go to slate.com slash NYCGist. September 29th in Brooklyn. It's being billed as a cavalcade of frippery, bedlam, and animal husbandry. It's going to be so much more, but also at the same time, so much less than that. Very good musical guest will be there. We can't say who. We can say Samantha Bee is going to be there to talk about The Daily Show and her new comedy show. And so many gist regulars. Matthew Dix, Adam Davidson, Zoe Chase, Chris Malanfi, Maria Konnikova, Chris Wirtz. So join us. Come say hi to me. September 29th in Brooklyn. Slate.com slash NYC gist. The gist, or as we're known by our Secret Service code name, welcome to Night Vale. Thanks for listening.